James chapter 3. <clears throat> I heard the story of an elderly man who was, had some very serious hearing issues. Um, his family tried time and time again, you know, please, just why don't you go and get some hearing aids? You're going to be able to hear so much better. In fact, you can't hear anything. But he just kept refusing. I don't know what the deal was, but uh, he was going to hold out. And maybe he just liked not hearing things. I don't know. But he just he didn't want to get these hearing aids that they kept telling him, you just need to go to the doctor and you're going to be fine. Well, finally, one day he kind of thought about what they were saying. So he decided to go visit the doctor and the ear doctor. And sure enough, he had some serious hearing issues. But the uh, doctor was able to fit him with some some fine hearing aids and uh, sent him on his way. And he said, you know, I just want to see you in about a month just to follow up and just see what exactly we got here. Well, a month went by and the elderly gentleman came back and the doctor checked him out and said, you have got excellent hearing. Your family must be so very pleased that you can hear everything. He goes, well, I don't know. I haven't told him yet. And he says, I've just been sitting there listening to what they're saying. And you know what? I've changed my will three different times already. See, uh, our words are powerful. Sometimes we, we're aware that of the effect and we know that people are hearing. Um, oftentimes our words are spoken where we, we think that, that no one is listening. You know, your words are so very powerful. They can give encouragement, hope. On the other hand, they can cause great destruction and devastation. This little organ in your body, this little muscle here, this muscle here, is this tongue creates great blessing. On the other hand, has terrific uh, potential to create devastation. There is apparently a wind, on a windswept hill, there's an English uh, churchyard that has this uh, cemetery in it. And apparently on one of these gravestones, kind of faintly etched in there, are these words beneath this stone, a lump of clay lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. And you're like thinking, whoa, OK, now what did the church folks get together? And it's like, you know, we're all we need to do something for Arabella, you know, now that she's passed away. And I don't know how that actually happened, but it, it's meant to drive home a point that some people never actually learn to tame their tongue. And in result, they just go and create all this widespread devastation and destruction. They hurt people, and it becomes kind of a way of life. And it doesn't end until they die. And friends, it is never meant to be that way. Especially for those of us who truly know Christ. We have a relationship with the one true living God, the one we just got done worshiping. We have the potential to use our tongue and our words for great blessing. To be able to control and exercise discernment of what we say and what we don't say. And it is all possible because of our relationship with Christ. And you need to know this. God fully intends that every single person that knows Christ, that is trusting him, actually matures in the faith. He doesn't want to have you stay about an inch deep and, and lack complete maturity. Actually, he wants you to grow and mature. That is why... God gave us this book, the very first book written in the New Testament by the pastor in Jerusalem, a very large church. He gave us, God through the Holy Spirit, gave us the book of James. And the whole theme of this book is in two words. Maturity matters. And God wants to bring about maturity and depth 
among his people, and he plans to use this book. And so in chapter 1, he actually gives us the mindset of those who are truly maturing in faith. Chapter 2, all the way through chapter 5, verse 6, he starts listing out major obstacles to a maturing faith in Christ. And so we saw uh, in chapter 2, began in verses 1 through 13, that we need to develop a love that sees past or sees through the labels that get tagged on all sorts of different people. And then last week, we saw that God fully intends for us to understand the nature of a living faith. What does that really look like? God intends to manifest and bear fruit through the lives of his people. And so we saw that spelled out in great detail at the end of chapter 2. This week, however, James tackles an issue that affects all of us. It is our words, what we do with our tongue. And he uses the word tongue, and this is common in some Jewish literature. It's attributing a specific part of one's body to actually uh, be a reflection or a manifestation of like one's character. And so that's what he's doing here. He's using the tongue to really manifest the character which it kind of espouses. Our mouths reflect what's going on in our hearts and what we really think. And so that's what he's going to do. And he's going to show us that the words of your mouth reflect the maturity of your heart. And so he begins by saying, first of all, you need to recognize that your words, the power of your words, has a great influence over many, specifically if you're a teacher. So in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. He begins this section by saying, he includes himself in this, Hey, not let many of you become teachers, because God takes those who instruct his people, he puts them on a, like a different form of evaluation. Because you're the ones that are supposedly leading people to faith in Christ, helping them grow, develop, and mature. You are going to be held an account for your ministry. God is the one who raises up teachers in their midst, whether you be for a small group, a fellowship family, a Bible study, or a pastor that is proclaiming truth in a Sunday school, or maybe you're a lay teacher working in a nursing home, or you're a pastor speaking on a, on a Sunday morning worship service. You're going to be in a hell and account for the words that you say. God takes the nature of how we espouse his word very seriously. And he says, you're going to incur a stricter judgment. Now, this is not a judgment like, well, you'll lose your salvation because God gives eternal life to those who believe. But it is going to be, you're going to be judged in terms of reward. And the the point of the matter is, is that you need to take what you teach and how you live very seriously. God is not interested in people setting themselves up as spiritual leaders and espousing their own opinion or picking and choosing their favorite verses or themes and neglecting the other parts of God's counsel that, oh, this is difficult or this is not really current or vogue or popular with people. No, God fully intends to bring about transformation of his people through his revelation. The job of the teacher is not to give, well, this is what I think about this. or The job of the teacher is to give God's word to his people and let him do the work. And there were some obviously some big issues that were starting to creep up in the church. Specifically, 
if you kind of look through the New Testament, some of the issues that were coming up, you had folks that were introducing Judaism, Mosaic laws, circumcision, saying you've got to follow all the Jewish laws and you can have Jesus, introducing legalism to the church. Absolutely not. There were some that were contradicting that you were saved by grace, but you actually had to have works added to that. No, we are saved by grace completely. When we have a relationship with Christ, works will be manifested. You just got done talking about that. Some of them were teaching things in contradiction to what they had been taught. They had been taught correctly, but now they had kind of moved out and they were start teaching their own program. Others were teaching before they actually knew anything. Terrible situation. And then furthermore, and when Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, there are folks that are in churches that are just trying to tickle ears. They merely look to see what do the people like. And so they try to be cute, clever, and it's all about the people. And friends, this is a real issue today. There are some churches that actually do surveys just to find out, what do you you want us to talk about? And so whatever you want us to talk about, that's what we're going to talk about. It's never meant to be that way. God sets the program. He says, I want you to talk about me, faith in Christ, and my word. I will set the agenda. This is the course. And so he says, listen, you be very careful. Your words have a great power to influence many. And by the way, let me just tell you two things you're looking for when it comes to spiritual leaders that you're going to sit under. First, you need to be sure that they are teaching the truth of Scripture accurately and thoroughly. Any pastor that you're going to place yourself under or a Bible teacher or, or somebody you're going to listen to on the radio or watch on TV, are they teaching the scriptures accurately and thoroughly? Are they going through it or do they just kind of pick and choose? Second thing you want to look at is do they live the truth of scripture authentically? Can you see growth of godliness? Is there true holiness? Do they really revere Christ? Do they apply the word of God to their own lives first? Or is it, no, this is all about a show, but they live a life that's completely different than what they espouse on Sunday morning or at their Bible study lead? James is saying, listen, your words, your tongue, it's powerful. It can influence many. But second, he says, you need to realize the potential of your words to develop maturity. You see, God actually can use our tongue and our words to mature us and develop us in the faith. And he says, verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. He has the idea that we all sin in a variety of different ways. We all can fall down, all get tripped up. And he says, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. You see that word perfect? That's, that's the theme of the book of James. There's that Greek word teleos again. It has the idea of being complete and mature. Now, the word perfect can actually ha- has two meanings. One, it could be absolute perfection. Okay? So if something is completely without sin, that's absolutely perfect, teleos. The word can also mean, and that's how it's used in the book of James, to bring about maturity, that which is complete, which is whole. You see, what comes out of our mouth and our words, whether we're texting or emailing, or giving speeches, or just talking and giving conversation. It's a reflection of what goes on here. It it gives evidence to maturity, but it also is a means to maturity. Get this, friends. If we can learn to control our words, we can use them for building up and for blessing. It actually is God's means by which, through his spirit, he builds and develops maturity. 
And so he says, that's why he says there, you know, if you can learn how to control your mouth, you could be a teleos, a complete, a perfect, a mature man. You're able to bridle the whole body itself. The hardest thing to control in our, in our body is our mouth and our words. If you can get that under control, you can get everything else under control. That's what he says. You see, if you can't control your mouth and your words, you aren't going to be able to control a whole lot. Jesus made it real clear. The issue isn't so much your words as what is going on in here. Because he said in Luke 6.45, he says, The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, you know what he does? He brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil reserves, out of the evil treasure, you know what he does? He brings forth what is evil. And this is what he says, and don't miss this. For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Whatever is going on in here, your heart, your mind, is going to come out your mouth. It is a reflection of what is taking place in here. And Jesus also said, guess what? You're going to be held in account for every single word you uttered. He takes our words seriously, but it really is a heart issue. And so to drive home this point, James, just like Jesus, he just draws analogies everywhere. He sees something, he picks it out, he uses it as an illustration. So he's going to begin here in verse 3. He's going to be talking about horses. He says, Now, verse 3, now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. And that's how it works. Uh, A horse that has never been broken, that is just out running wild, is really of not a lot of use to anybody or anything. I mean, they're hard on fences. You can't just like, well, kids, why don't you hop on here? We got this horse here. It'll hurt you. It'll destroy you. They, a horse that is not broken has very little value in terms of actually accomplishing anything productive. On the other hand, a horse that has been trained, when you can actually slip that bit into their mouth, you control their whole head and you can accomplish a great amount of work. A horse is a marvelous animal. I mean, you can do, you can round up cattle, you can go on rides through fields, you can hunt with horses. You can actually play polo. Not a popular sport in Texas, but in other parts of the world, they play polo because these horses have been, they're under control. You move that rein, and because that bit's in that mouth, that head moves, and they they follow directions. It doesn't even take much, just a slight movement, and that horse follows the command. If you can learn to control this little muscle in your mouth called the tongue, why, you can control your entire body as well. That's what he says. We put, we put bits in a horse's mouth, verse 3, so they will obey us, and we direct their entire body as well. And then he says, let me give you another example. Let's talk about ships and rudders. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Now, many of the people of Israel had seen ships, and the ships were quite large. I mean, in the Roman Empire, these massive ships, they called tons and tons of grain across the Mediterranean because Israel was along the coast. And they would just be in awe of how big these ships are. But yet, the ship is actually controlled by a very small little rudder. The pilot determines where this massive ship is going by its rudder. Well, that's kind of how it is in our life. Our tongue has a way of directing our life. And it's meant to be a a tool for maturity, for blessing, for building people up, for encouragement. But on the other hand, if that tongue is out of control, 
you're going to cause destruction and devastation. You know, the inability to control a rudder on a ship leads to major problems. In World War II, May 21st, 1941, the German battleship, the Bismarck, which was probably one of the most famous battleships of World War II, it was kind of the, uh, it was the lead ship in her class. The Germans had the Bismarck. And that, that battleship caused all sorts of destruction for England. So much so, it was such a menace that Winston Churchill said, sink the Bismarck. We have got to put this ship down on the bottom of the ocean. One day it was spotted on May 21st, 1941, and it was trying to make its way back to occupied France, where the Germans were now controlling the coast of France, and the uh, Royal Navy was assembling. They were trying to pursue, and then something, as they were kind of shooting at this, something erratic and weird happened. The Bismarck, as it was making its way to France, then turned around and headed right into the strength of the, of the English Navy, and they were... You know, that time, they're like, what is going on? Is he going to take us all on here? They're firing. And all of a sudden, the ship started making all these erratic movements. And it just was like, what's what? You know what's going on? The rudder of the Bismarck had been hit by a torpedo. And here's this massive ship, and it was just going all out of control because that one rudder was bent out of shape. Your tongue, out of control, causes a lot of problems. A horse that's not under control hurts people. A ship out of control leads to all sorts of loss. Your tongue out of control, it's leading to major problems. James says, listen, if you can control your tongue, that ship, your life, can be a great blessing and be used in very powerful ways. In World War II, there was a phrase that would go around, loose lips sink ships. Loose lips wreck lives as well. You see, friends, you know what God wants to use our mouth for, our words? He wants us to use it for encouraging. We are to be vessels fit for honorable use, to come alongside people, to encourage them, to give them heart, to support them. You've been given a mouth. You've been given a heart. Christ resides within. If Christ Jesus is truly the Lord of your life, you have this, the amazing potential of being such great blessing to people. We're to be encouraging people. We're to be edifying the idea of building up, whether that be counseling them, clarifying, just communicating, just enjoying life. Whether you're teaching, you're coming alongside people to challenge them, correct them, appreciate them, sing songs. God has given us a mouth so that we'd be able to do things that are truly edifying and even exalting. That we would be able to open our mouth and sing praises or recite scripture or read a psalm. We're, we've been given a mouth for good and holy and noble purposes. But friends, our mouth can be used for evil. We've got to, and that's what he's going to talk about in the rest of this section here, remember the propensity of our words to inflict misery. He said, you know, look at the horses. With a little bit, they can be controlled. Look at a ship. That rudder controls that whole thing. He says, verse 5, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet... It boasts of great things. That, that, this tongue is so small, and yet it has the potential of wrecking such great havoc. I mean, think of some of the dictators in our world, like Joseph Stalin, Ayatollah Khomeini, Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein. Their words mobilized thousands upon thousands and led to widespread death and destruction. Now, your words 
you know what? As much as they can be used for good and for blessing, they can inflict much harm and damage. Think of perhaps how you've been scarred by someone's words. A parent, a friend, a sibling. You know, you know how churches split? Churches split because James chapter 3 was never realized. People failed to recognize that our mouths are used for blessing and building up and not tearing down. Words can lead to war. And though the tongue is so small, it is responsible for great devastation. And so he's going to start talking about what does that look like. First of all, he's going to talk about like a forest fire and a spark. He says, verse 5 at the end there, he says, See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. It only takes a spark and a small flame, and yet it can send an entire forest ablaze. And he says, verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Our, Our words can be like a fire. And they can create widespread devastation. And not only is the devastation of the fire as the fire just literally consumes everything in its path, but then there's the smoke that comes from the fire, and it just it permeates everything. I don't know if you've ever smelled clothing that has been like in a, in a house fire, and it just has smoke damage. You, you can't get it out. It just has a way of seeping in even to the fibers. It doesn't matter how you dry clean it. That is the nature of how powerful our words can be. You know, a small fire can lead to great devastation. Our country in 1871, Chicago, I'm sure you've heard of this, caught fire. In fact, half of the city burned down. There were 250 people that were killed. 125,000 people were left homeless. And you know how it, it all got started? Tradition holds it all got started with a cow owned by a lady by the name of Mrs. O'Leary who kicked over the lantern. And from that lantern caused the barn to catch on fire And that spread, and it knocked out half of the city of Chicago. Friends, that's how our mouth can be. It can inflict wounds, hurt, that is going to be far more greater than you had ever imagined. And he says, you need to know where this comes from. This itself, he says, it it sets on on fire the whole course of our life. Every aspect of our being can be set on fire by our words, and he says, and it is set on fire by hell. The, the Greek word there is Gehenna. And let me tell you the imagery that is being said there. Gehenna is what the Jews refer to the place just right south of Jerusalem. Okay, right outside the gates, they have this place called Gehenna. Okay, it's from the Hebrew Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. And this is a place where it was always burning. They used it in in the time of Jesus. That's where they they just continually burned their garbage. There was always a fire there. But this place was a wicked place. Because if you've studied the Old Testament, this is the exact same place where they actually conducted child sacrifices. The pagans, before the Israelites came in and took over, this is where they actually conducted sacrifices to the god Molech, where they would heat up these stone hands and they'd place a living child in there and they'd sacrifice this child to this wicked pagan god. And you'd think, well, okay. And that was, by the way, one of the reasons why God said, done. I am going to bring judgment to this land. They have resisted me. Their iniquity is filled up, and I am going to wipe them out. And this instrument to doing it, he was going to use Israel. 
And yet Israel didn't take them all out. And even after Israel then occupied the land, the the Jewish people came in there, these sacrifices still actually occurred. And worse yet, it even happened among the Jews that they bought into this wickedness. Josiah and his reforms, you can read about in 2 Kings chapter 23, he actually, he put an end to it and he actually destroyed this place. But this is all in the valley of Hinnom, the Gehenna. And so in the time of Jesus, in the time of James, people would still, they just throw out their garbage. This was a synonym for hell. So when Jesus spoke of hell, they immediately thought of this burning garbage dump where all this wickedness had occurred in their past. Gehenna, hell. And what James is saying here, our words, when used for evil purposes, when uncontrolled by the Spirit of God himself, it sets on fire the course of our life, and it comes from Gehenna, from hell itself. It shouldn't be this way. And friends, if you've never gained control of your life and you've never given Christ mastery over it, you're probably in the process of creating a lot of destruction and misery in people's lives. Let me just tell you some of the ways it happens. Words are used for hate, to express prejudice, slander, jealousy, envy, lying, filthy language, um, gossip, false accusations. All of this, friends, is evil, and it all gets started with our words, oftentimes expressed from our mouth. I mean, any times that you see people that are just condescending, or they are highly critical, or they are trying to control someone, maybe a, maybe a spouse or some sort of uh, employer, just they are just controlling with their words. They're just always trying to work someone over. This isn't from God. This is from the devil himself. When you see someone who's just continually just condemning others, This is a reflection of a heart that is in trouble. You know how you go into uh, like national parks and state parks and the Forest Service actually has those signs and it tells you the fire danger. You seen those? You know, and so when it's a lot of rain, kind of wet season, the fire danger is low. And then, of course, you know, if things are a little drier, it moves up to moderate, you go high to extreme. Um, Maybe think about your life at different times and where is the fire danger? How, what, are the, what are the circumstances of, that would be favorable for you just to erupt in flames and cause a fire? Fire danger is low, for instance, when you're praying, you're reading the scripture. Right now in the worship service, look at this, the fire danger is low, except I'm talking, I could potentially mess up here, but it's pretty low right now, okay? Because when we spend time with God and we're focused on him, the fire danger is low. But then it it moves to moderate. Fire danger is moderate kind of in the regular routines of life. When you're just kind of doing your day-to-day things and things are going reasonably well, then the fire danger is moderate. Um, And you consider that, you know, like, yeah, I could say things from my mouth and I, I need to be aware of that. But it's not like when fire danger is high or extreme. For instance, when you are stressed, You've gone without a lot of sleep. If you are really hungry, especially if you're a man and you're really hungry, okay, we're at extreme right now, okay? All right? It's, it's something about us. It's, it's like we're, we're more prone to say things that we're going to regret. Um, if things are going wrong, 
if your favorite football team lost, uh, maybe there's some sort of sound coming from your truck engine, and it's not the nice purr that you're wanting to, you, it puts you in a situation where you're more likely to open up your mouth and say things that you shouldn't. Just remember that the ad said, only you can prevent a forest fire, right? Only you can prevent a forest fire. I remember the kid seeing a commercial, and it was so... Uh, impression it left such a strong impression on me that I've not forgot it and maybe you'll remember it but they said one tree can produce a million matches and one match can kill a million trees just one match can kill a million trees friends your words are so very powerful They can encourage, they can bring consolation, they can give hope, they can teach, they can instruct, they can enjoy people, and at the same time, you can just turn around and you can destroy them and cut them down. And you can inflict wounds that are so deep and so hurtful that person may never recover, and frankly, you may not even realize that what you have done. Friends, we've got to be so very careful that our mouths are under the control of the Master. If you're Not sure where you're at in terms of the fire danger. Um, And especially if, you know, you are living and your fire danger is usually pretty high, if not extreme all the time. Friends, you've got a heart problem. Something's wrong. And the Lord intends to address it. If you're not sure, I'll tell you how you find out. After church, go ask your spouse or your kids or your roommate. Ask them, hey. Tell me a little bit about me. Am I just really hard to be around? Is my, do you see my mouth being used for less than edifying purposes? They, if you let them shoot straight with you, they will. And friends, what we need is God. And he will. Just even try God for 20 seconds before you open your mouth and just say, Lord, help me. Help me to calm down. Help me to have this, see this situation from your perspective. And help me, Lord, to respond correctly and just see how he will work. Well, he goes and gives you another example. Did the fire one stick in there? Does that make sense to you? He says, look at verse 7. Let's talk about an animal and animal trainers. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Every one of them has been tamed. And he, I mean, think about it. Think of last time you've been at a circus. I mean, do you realize those are wild animals? And they have treat, they've trained them to do all these things, like, for instance, the lion one especially. You know, when they have these big lions, and they could just rip someone apart just anytime they want. And then they have them open up that lion's mouth, and he sticks his head in there. I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like. And how do you get life insurance if your occupation is to stick your head into a lion's mouth? I mean, we have trained these animals. You can get dolphins, and, and you can get killer whales to jump and go through hoops, and dogs to go through fire hoops. And we can train all these animals And yet, what does he say? Verse 8, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. We can train all these animals. We need to do all these things. We need elephants to actually stand on top of each other and walk around in a circle with someone standing on their head. But we can't seem to get control of this and our words. Someone has done some calculation and they said, for every word that Hitler produced in his book, Mein Kampf, his story, 125 people died in World War II. Our tongue is, can be deadly. 
It's like the picture of a poison snake. It's got venom, and it can be set on, set on fire from the very hell itself. And so what we need to do, friends, is we need to consider our mouths. For those of you who are parents or grandparents, stop. How you speak, your patterns of how you interact and how you speak about people, whether it be in the church or the neighborhood or at the school or wherever, or how you interact with something you see, your kids are pretty much going to pick up on your patterns for better or for worse. One uh, woman who apparently had a huge gossip problem, she had this lady, and she just made this lady her project. She tore her up. She had heard some different things, and she went and publicized all of what she thought she knew, and she literally destroyed this second woman. And then the time came where she actually realized that the things that she was spreading were not actually true of that woman. She felt terrible about this, especially being a Christian. I don't know if she shared these under the guise of these are prayer requests or whatever. She felt really bad about what she had done. She didn't know what to do. So she went and visited her pastor, kind of put it out there and said, this is what I've done. It's not true. What should I do? Well, the pastor, I don't know what he was thinking, but he had this, this idea. He said, hey, listen, you know what I want you to do? I want you to get a down pillow. I want you to open it up, and I want you to take feathers, and I want you to start spreading them all over the city. And you come back tomorrow, and we're going to talk some more about this. What? That's weird. <laughs> okay, whatever. Okay, so she gets this down pillow. She starts putting these feathers all throughout the city. She's, you know, and I'm sure she thought this has got to be weird and people are looking at her, but there she is. At least she's not running off of the mouth and she's putting her feathers everywhere. Come back the next day. This is the pastor. Okay, I did what you said. And she says, okay. The pastor says, and this is what I want you to do now. I want you to go and I want you to pick up all those feathers. Every single one of them. What? Can't do that. They're, they're all over. They, they've been blown all over. He says, that's right. Just like your words. Just like your words. He's been spread all over. You know what, friends? There is forgiveness in Christ. Yes. Even the other person, they, they may forgive you. But friends, sometimes once you've unleashed those long-range missiles from your mouth, those bombs, they've created explosions. And, you know, there's a lot of times there's simply nothing you can do about it anymore. You've inflicted your damage. You simply are not going to be able to retrace every step and get everything corrected. It will not happen. And by the way, if someone you're talking with starts to gossip and they're using their words for ignoble purposes, this is what you need to do. You need to say, hey, hey wait a second, let's, let's stop here because we want to make sure that we don't slander this person or say something that's it's not true. Uh, you need to step in and correct. Don't put yourself in a position where you're like, well, I'm just, I'm just listening, but I'm not, I'm, not ever, I'm, not, I'm not the one saying it. I'm just kind of taking it in. No. Step up. You need to address it. Do not be a willing party. And if need be, you can actually correct and even change the course of the conversation and help someone grow and mature. Some years ago, Morgan Blake, a sports writer for the Atlanta Journal, He wrote the following satire. Listen to this. I am more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. 
I tear down homes, break hearts, and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and I seldom forgive. My name is, anybody know? Gossip. That's what it is. Friends, we need to tame our tongue. He says, verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. You see that in verse 9? And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. It just shouldn't be. You who know the Lord Jesus Christ, verse chapter 2, verse 1, you have a faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We know him. We've been forgiven by him. We're redeemed. His spirit resides within us. We should not be using our mouth and our words to be spewing out the very sin that we're saved from. Can you do this? Can you say, I love God and mean it? Maybe even just whisper it. I love God. Could you do it? Now, can you do this? I hate and then pick someone. Can you do it right after that? Well, no, wait a second. No, I, I can't. I'm glad there's some hesitation. Friends, it shouldn't be this way. We have been given the spirit of Christ himself. He dwells in our hearts by faith. Our mouth, our words are to be blessing, not used for destruction. And so that is what he says here. He says in verse 11, what, what are we thinking? It shouldn't be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? No, it's one or the other. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce flesh. Which will it be? You see, we who know Christ from our mouth, not bitter water, but blessing. If there is any question whether you and I are sinners, just think of the words that you have said. You see, our speech is a barometer of our spirituality and of our heart. Our heart reveals, our heart is revealed by the words that we speak. And that is why we need Christ desperately. Friends, we're all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God, especially we have with our words. That is why Christ has come. He has given us payment for our sins, for the wickedness of our very words, so that we might know redemption, forgiveness, and our lives and our mouths may be a blessing. You know, every time that you hold your tongue or or don't say something that you could, I'd actually just rejoice and just even celebrate, even in a small way. But friends, the issue is your heart and your mind, because what's ever in here is going to come out here. Um, many of you have heard my testimony. In fact, uh, if you're coming to the new members class in just a few minutes, I'm, I'm going to share it again. And after I came to Christ when I was in college, the very first issue that God seemed to want to address in my life to bring about greater holiness and a greater conformity to the life of Christ was my mouth. I realized that there were some words that were coming out of there that simply could not be reconciled now with this new relationship with Christ. And I felt convicted. And God started addressing that. And that is the nature of how God works. 
His Holy Spirit is seeking to bring about holiness and he addresses the issues of our life. And he most certainly is going to address your mouth and your words and your tongue. That is how it's going to work. And so, friends, what we need to do is fill our heart and our minds with him and his words. It is it's our mind. This is where the battle is fought. That is why we would like in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. I would write this down. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely and of good repute. He says, thinks if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, what you want to do is you want to be dwelling, thinking upon these things, because when we're thinking about truth and that which is good and seeing the good in our world and in others, it's going to be reflected in our speech. Some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. He wrote a very interesting book called The Screwtape Letters. And in it, there is this kind of chief demon, and he's writing to his demonic nephew. nephew and the chief demon's guy is the name of Screwtape. And he wrote this. This is really interesting. Screwtape writing to his nephew. He says, quote, It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done in keeping things out. How very interesting. If you are not proactively taking the initiative to fill your heart and your mind with the word of God and that which is true and all things that are lovely, is it any wonder that you're spewing out the very things that Christ has redeemed you from? What do you do? Valsin, I tell you, going through this passage brought about a lot of deep reflection for me. What do we do when we sin? Well, what do we do, friends? We confess our sins. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord says, come, come to me and I will wash you. I have saved you eternally. I will wash you and make you clean. But come to me. Let me tell you a second thing. Confess your sin to the person you hurt or you have negatively affected with your speech. Uh, years ago, I was in a meeting with a, another guy, it was just me and him, and we were talking about an issue, and I, I said something that was true, but actually put another person in an unfavorable light. Okay? It was true. I probably didn't need to say it, but I felt like I should to make the situation a little clearer, and I said it. Finished up our meeting. By the time I got back to my office, God's Spirit had so deeply convicted me that I shouldn't have said that, so I confessed it before God in my office, and then I went back to this guy's office. And I said, Grant, yeah. I hey, I, uh, you know what I said, and I I said the situation, I shouldn't have. And I'm sorry, I've confessed it before God. That was wrong, sin. I just wanted to clear that up with you. I'm sorry. Now, I want to tell you, I hated that experience. Oh, I mean, there was everything in me like, what are you doing? You don't need to do this. I hated it. My body wanted to resist it. And yet I must. It was good training for my soul. I don't want to be going in that direction. I want to use my mouth and my words for noble purposes. And what we want to do is we ask God to fill us with his spirit so that we will have his words and his truth. Proverbs 21 verse 23 says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue Guards his soul from troubles. Friends, if you've got a pattern of spewing out garbage as kind of a way of life, there's some retraining that needs to take place. The Lord intends to begin that process now, this very minute. And he will do so by us coming to him 
trusting him and filling our heart with his word. When Jesus Christ said, you know, your mouth speaks from that which fills his heart, he told us the key is the heart. David said the same thing. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. Because whatever your heart is drawn to has a way of being reflected in your speech. And so before you speak, ask this. Is this really what I want to say? Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And so what we want to do is we come to Christ. We come with him right now, and we're going to pray. If you've got some pretty serious issues going on with your words in your mouth, confess it to him and experience his cleansing. And all of us, let us go and ask God, Lord, will you take mastery over my mouth? You see, if Jesus Christ is Lord of our hearts, he also becomes Lord over our lips. And he wants our words to reflect his goodness, his grace, and his truth. For the words of your mouth reveal the maturity of your heart. And this is James' great vision as that the people of God would be, their mouths would be like springs of blessing, encouraging, speaking truth, worshiping with praises and all coming from a redeemed heart. For the words of our mouth reveal the maturity of our heart. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this amazing passage that so clearly spells out with such vivid and great detail just how powerful our words can be. For blessing, for maturity, for devastation, for hurt, for harm, evil, and destruction. For the person who is here today who has never put their faith and trust in you, would they pray with me and say, Lord, I, I confess just the words of my mouth find me guilty before you. And I turn from my sin and I trust your son as my savior. And for all of us, Lord You desire us to mature, and it will be reflected in our words. So, Lord, cleanse us from our sin. Fill us with your spirit, your words. Help us to see how we can use our words for noble and constructive purposes, to worship you, to bring you great praise. So, Lord, we ask that you would find our lives, bringing you great, great glory, and you would do so with the words of our mouth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.